So um, there's a joke that when you sit down in front of a bomb, you're either right or it's not your problem anymore. <laughs> and so what does that mean? So if you're right, then everything works out and nobody gets killed. And if you're wrong, then you're so close to it when it blows up that you don't really have to worry about it. Welcome to How To. I'm Charles Duhigg. Each week on the show, we talk to a listener who's struggling with something, who, who has a problem that's bothering them, and we try to find them some advice. Yeah, so I recently stumbled across your podcast, and then I was like, man, I, uh, I think I have an issue that I'd like to talk about. This is Shane from Virginia. Basically, I think it boils down to what I would call the, the appropriate level of assertiveness. And I find that uh, I don't have a, like a good reaction for, for confrontation in uh, you know, social settings. And I think that uh, it would be nice to kind of figure that out. What's, what's a situation where you, you wish you had calibrated your assertive list a little bit differently? I've got, so I've got four kids. I actually have a fifth on the way. And uh, we've, we've had our struggles with finding uh, good daycare. And a couple years back, we had uh, someone that was recommended to us and she seemed like a good fit, but we often found that she'd come over and we'd say, you know, help yourself to anything that you need. And in and, and her mind, she would then proceed to bring over her kids and like clean out our groceries. Most of it was gone. And instead of like confronting her and making a scene, we just sort of went with it. And then when, as soon as we had a replacement, we just stopped talking to her ever again. Shane doesn't like confrontation. And, and in fact, he tends to avoid it. But at the same time, it bugs him when he feels like people are walking all over him. I have a few times, you know, attempted at being more assertive. And what it seems like happens is the fallout from the other person, it makes me feel like a jerk. Like, I'm like, okay, maybe there was more going on that I wasn't aware of. And so I need to be more understanding. And, and I sort of have that battle in my head. And then I always regret it afterwards. And why do you regret it? Like, what bugs you about that? Well, I either overpay for something or I just feel like I got taken advantage of. The thing is, Shane's not like a meek or timid person. He, he spent most of his life in the military, sometimes in war zones. And his job is intense. He, he disables bombs, like that guy in the movie The Hurt Locker. Everybody get back! Go, go, go. You realize every time you suit up, it's life or death. I imagine you have to be pretty assertive if if you're if you're defusing a bomb, you can't be second guessing yourself. At some point you got to commit and clip the wire, right? Well, so our schoolhouse motto is initial success or total failure. And so that means you get it right every time or or it's a, it's a complete bust. So it's not like Shane can't handle fear or anxiety or pressure. But when it comes to his day-to-day -day life, it gets hard for him to muster that assertiveness. His, his empathy often gets the best of him. And that makes it hard to demand what he deserves or to, or to play hardball in negotiations. And I think that all that kind of mixes into this cocktail of doubt. Like, I'm just constantly being taken advantage of, and I, I got to stop the cycle. And that's why we brought in this week's expert, a former hostage negotiator named Chris Voss. So, Chris, let me ask you, you know, you've, you've spent your entire career trying to figure out how to get inside people's heads. What's your initial impressions of where you think Shane is? Well, not just my impressions of where Shane is, but the nature of your questions as well. You know, you keep asking him, why doesn't he hit back? And you never asked him once, 
about, well, why don't you try to understand first? Hmm. So typically what everybody sees is either we're understanding or we're either asserting for our, ourselves. We can't do both. And the nature of your questions all along the way was, you know, why don't you stand up for yourself more? Why don't you say this? Why don't you say that? I think you could have done better. Chris Voss, as you can hear, has no problem being assertive or, or telling me that I'm doing my job all wrong. And that confidence served him really well when he was an FBI negotiator persuading terrorists to listen to him. On today's show, Chris will share some of his secrets and tell Shane how he can turn his empathy from a stumbling block into a kind of superpower. He has techniques that all of us can use to stand up for ourselves and get what we want. So stay with us or else Chris Voss will find you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Long before Chris Voss was with the FBI, or before he started his own consulting firm to help clients in high-stakes transactions, he was just this beat cop who was riding around in his patrol car. That was a classic... You know, cop mentality is solve the problem and move on. Somebody else needs your help. Solve this now and go to the next person who needs your help, which unfortunately is a very direct, aggressive approach. You think you're being direct and honest. The other side sees you as combative and aggressive, which is one of the problems with law enforcement today. But then he started working with a new partner, someone who had a different approach. And I ended up riding with a guy this detective who, you know, just with his tone of voice, it worked magic. I mean, just, and I, and I saw this guy with tone of voice solve problems and make people think about things in a different way that just blew me away. You know, tone of voice? How stupid is that? How could that make such a difference? Chris eventually joined the FBI, and he was brought into this unit that is specialized in negotiating with criminals who had taken hostages. The guys who got people to cooperate without a hammer because they wanted to cooperate. And I saw those guys working magic, establishing connections with people. And then 
I wanted to learn more about how those guys did that because those guys made cases that nobody else could make. He went on to use these tactics on kidnappers and terrorists, all kinds of bad people. He remembers there was this one particularly tense negotiation, a phone call, which involved some bank robbers and a getaway van. I said, you know, we, uh, we got a van out here. We've been able to identify all of the owners of the vans except this one. And he said, we only have one van. I didn't know what to say. I mean, like, what? what? So my training is to repeat the last couple words when I'm flummoxed because I don't know what else to say. There's a name for this. It's the mirroring technique. I said, you only got one van? He goes, yeah, well, we got more than one van. I said, you have more than one van? He said, well... You chased my driver away. I said, we chased your driver away? He said, yeah, well, when he saw the police, he cut and run. Now, what he just did was tell us that there was a third accomplice who was the getaway driver, and we had no clue that there was a third accomplice. Now, this was a guy who was watching everything he said. The mirror caused him to connect thoughts and to keep talking and then to share information that he had no intention of sharing with us. It caused us to catch up to the third bank robber, get a conviction, and then ultimately um, convict all three of the bank robbers based on the things that were said on the phone on a line that he knew was being recorded. This is how negotiations often occur, says Chris. You don't know exactly what's going on all the time, but as long as you have a plan in mind, you can figure out how to muddle through until you learn what you need to know. Now, um, from Shane's perspective, he thinks either he can be understanding or he can assert. He's conflict avoidant. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody assumes that to be assertive, you got to be rough about it. You got to be attacking. You got to call the other person names. You know, and I'll, I'll evoke a couple of poster children for negotiation styles. Donald Trump. The president of the United States calls the shots. If He's the poster the child for negotiations and it's attacking, calling people names. Well, I have the ultimate authority, the president of the United Beating States. the other side into submission. That's what assertion is. Well, let's contrast it with Oprah Winfrey. I know y'all are feeling it too, America. People are so rude these days, aren't they? Now, I mean, people don't see Oprah as assertive. Now, I would ask you, Globally, who is notable for having gotten into an argument with Oprah? I, I can't think of anyone. <laughs> it's like asking, like, like who's, who's been in a fight with Bambi? Like, it doesn't happen. And how many Hollywood celebrities has Oprah had a tiff with? I'm here to tell you I know of quite a few. Why don't they spill out into the open? Because she is emotionally intelligent, she's relationship-focused and assertion-focused. Empathy has become uh, synonymous with sympathy, and it is not. It was never meant that way, ever. Empathy is understanding. It's being able to fully articulate a complete demonstration of understanding. When you can cross that, you go from being Donald Trump to being Oprah Winfrey. It's astonishing what you can get people to collaborate with you on once they know that you know where they're coming from. So empathy can be a powerful negotiating tool, but you need to have a plan for how you use it to help you. 
Take, for instance, this one experience Shane had, where his empathy initially put him at a disadvantage. It was a couple of years ago when his family decided to break a lease so they could move to a bigger house. And my landlord was very, like, accusatory. Like, how could you do this to me? I thought you were going to rent through February. You know, I have a kid. And, and, and we had felt really bad. And, and she said, you know, per the terms of the lease, I'm going to need you to pay through the end of November. And I'm going to keep 100% of your deposit. She acted like we were putting her in a bad spot and that it was gonna be a long time to rent. And so we kind of let it go. We didn't make a big deal. We agreed to this, this arrangement that was, you know, we thought was helping her out. And then I went back there, it was like four days after we moved out, I went back there to just pick up some tools I left in the yard and somebody else was already living there. And I talked to them about it and they have been lined up for like almost as soon as we gave notice. So, you know, I was mad. And so I went back to my landlord and I was like, listen, uh, you made you know this impression that I was taking advantage of you. And come to find out, you've taken advantage of us. When you called her up and you, you sort of unloaded on her that way, what did she say in response? So she reiterated her initial stance. Like, I'm on the hook for these properties if they don't get rented. And like, any time that I tried to say, well, okay, you have a renter now, you can give us our money back. She just kept reiterating, like, I have a family to provide for. And I think that she was probably just, you know, playing on my uh, guilt for feeling bad about breaking the lease. And, and it, it basically worked. Like we could have gone to court over it. And, and I just felt like, you know, just paying the money and walking away was a better option. Shane's empathy didn't help him in that situation. In fact, it hurt him. But that doesn't mean he should extinguish that empathy. It just means he needs to learn to use it differently. And that's actually our first rule. Recognize that emotional intelligence, things like empathy, can actually be really powerful tools when you're negotiating. Because when you voice your empathy, when you show someone that you understand their problems, you disarm them and you make them more willing to cooperate. Basically, you achieve the trust you need to have a productive conversation. And one of the best ways to show empathy, says Chris, is to start a sentence with the words you believe or you feel, and then say what you think the other person is thinking or feeling, and then just shut up. Avoid the temptation to say more and force them to fill the silence. All right, so what was your landlord's perspective on the whole thing? Start out with you feel. You feel like we're leaving you in a bad spot because it's not a good rental season and nobody's really moving and you're afraid the mark the apartment's going to be vacant for a month or two before you can get a renter. Perfect. Now, if you would have said that, what's your fear of the position that it would leave you in? Uh, exposed to be on the hook for this amount that I, you know, I felt was unjustly owed. Right. And that's until we learn how this works, that's what we feel the real dilemma is we feel like if we demonstrate understanding, we're exposed. Chris says this feeling is totally natural. All of us have a part of our brain called the amygdala, which exists to alert us to vulnerabilities and to make us cautious. But sometimes it can lead us astray. The amygdala is wired to be 75% negative. So your survival mode is wired to always overreact negatively to everything you're faced with until you learn the difference between survival and success. And we're not wired for success. As human beings, we're wired to survive. And that's why, having not gone down this path before, your initial instinct, which is actually 
your caveman wiring is like, I'm exposed, I'm gonna have to give in. What I often do is I war game the whole conversation in my head before I even open my mouth. And I've got this like weird right. strategy, like, okay, if, I, if they say this, I'll say this, blah, blah, blah. And that just knocks all that off the table. And it's just take a beat and enunciate to them clearly that you understand what their motivation is and then shut up. And, and even just rethinking some of my problems and stating them like that, it takes away the whole stress of like negotiating and coming up with rebuttals you said it takes away the stress. Tactical empathy, we call this tactical empathy, does more for you than it does for them, and it does a lot for them. So Chris, how do we do that? How do we get to that place where we can just say what's in the other person's head, particularly if we're all riled up? Yeah. How do I get to a place where I can say, here's what it seems like is going on for you, and then not say anything else? How do I train myself to do that? All right. I'm going to test your age because I'm old and I could answer this question. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? <laughs> it's not the right on 42nd. It's practice, practice, practice. Practice, practice, practice. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> A lot of people, like, I asked somebody that the other day and they're like, what? What are you talking I, I got to Google that to figure that out. You know, I don't know. <laughs> it's always small stakes practice. You know, and we got people around us all the time. You know, your Lyft driver, anybody you get onto the phone with, um, uh, and really where you got no skin in the game because you, you're not going to deploy a new technique in something as important as an interaction with a landlord if you haven't tried it out on the people in your everyday life just to see what the reaction is. Let's say I've been practicing. Let's say, let's say I've been practicing with my wife, my kids. I've been practicing with the, the grocery you know, checkout person. I've, I've gotten good at saying what's going on in their head and then just shutting up. And 50% of the time, that's going to work. But what about the other 50%? Let's say I do that with a landlord. Right. Landlord says, thank you so much. You're exactly right. And that's why I want you to pay all the money that I think you owe me and a little bit more. What do I do next? Now, if you fully empathize, demonstrate understanding with somebody, and they still come back at you hard, you now just found out that this person is never going to make a favorable deal with me. It happens all the time. So more than likely, you finish, you get a that's right, and they don't say another word. Now, how do we kick this back into gear? The secret to gaining the upper hand in a negotiation is giving the other side the illusion of control. The first thing you want to do is say, how do you want to proceed? Having given them the illusion of control, I now need to know, are they on the verge of offering me something that I like? I got to give them a chance to do that without making them feel backed into a corner. So I'm gonna, my first move is going to be a how question. They got no answer. My next move after that is a no-oriented question. Is it ridiculous for me to offer something that would work for me? What's the answer to that? They're going to say no. But again, people feel safe and protected when they say no. I'm continuing to shave the odds in my favor these are my last-ditch efforts at making a collaborative deal. So I, w I want them to say no. Because exactly. the way I always come into this is I think, like, I want them to be agreeable. I want to find something we can agree on, some common ground. Right. But you're saying, no, don't go for the question that gets a yes. Go for the question that gets a no. The last person that talked you into something that you regretted, that got you to say yes a whole bunch of times, what did that do to you? 
made you leery of anybody who's trying to get you to say yes. So I want to ask a question that they're going to say no to. And is that because it makes them feel like they're in control? Absolutely. So this is our next rule. Give the other party the illusion of control by asking, how do you want to proceed? And then ask them a question that they can say no to. No one likes feeling coerced into saying yes. So give the other person a chance to tell you no. When we come back, Chris will share a few more tactics with us, including his amazing method to get a free upgrade every time he checks into a hotel. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. If you like this episode, you should check out another one called How to Convince People to Give You Money, which features expert tips from a kind of unlikely source, con artists. You can find it in all of our episodes by subscribing for free to our podcast feed. We're back with Shane and our expert, Chris Voss, author of the book, Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It. I got to tell you something. Every time we check into a hotel, we get stuff for free. Every yeah. time. 
And you know, and th- and this is this is our practice. Here's here's how we do it with a hotel. I walk up and I say, I'm getting ready to make your day ridiculously painful. And then I I watch them just fall. Because <laughs> if they worked in a hotel, they got no idea. You know, you know, you got a, you got eight heads in a duffel bag. They don't know what the hell you're doing. You know, you got you got a goat in the bag. You're gonna do a ritual <laughs> sacrifice up in a room. They've seen everything, right? So then I say, I'm getting ready to sound like a self-centered, self-involved hotel guest that wants something for nothing. And now, now they're like. Because I'm stripping away by calling out the negatives, by calling out the potential elephants in the room, I'm getting rid of them one at a time. Now they're looking at me in a completely different way. That automatically inoculates me from that perception. Their their reaction Mm. to that is, boy, this guy understands the kind of nonsense I'm trying to deal with. And then the last thing I say is, how much trouble do I get you in for trying to get an upgrade to a suite for free. (laughs) We get suites every time. (laughs) This is what about, how about a downtown view? I can move you into a downtown view. Now he's killing himself. Wow. Shane, let me ask you, have have you ever tried anything like that? So my my now wife, uh, we met at a karaoke night and you know, I had a little bit of liquid courage and we had been hanging out and I said, so how, how cliche would it be if I kissed you right now? Nice. And instead of answering, she kissed me and it was like, <laughs> it totally worked. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you, man. Look at you. You got this in you. So all you, all you gotta know is how to use your powers for, for, for more good. Shane, when you think about the, the conversation with the landlord and you know, Chris had talked about giving giving the other person the illusion of control, asking a how question, putting them in a position where they can say no. What question do you think you could have asked your landlord after you had made this expression of empathy that would have put them in a position where, where they have the illusion of control and are more willing to work with you? You know, I was thinking, and, and maybe this gives them too much control, but I was thinking, you know, how, how do we come to a solution here that we can both be happy with? I like that a lot. I Here's how I'd change the tail end of that. How do we come to a solution here that we both don't end up hating each other after this is all over? That's interesting. W- w- what's the difference there? Like, why, why, that, why that ending? Well, when you say that we can both be happy with, my reaction is, like, you're only interested in your happiness. You could care less mm. if you're happy about me. So the prospect of hating someone over a bad deal has happened enough to people, you know, and, and that was my hotel clerk question. How do I get an upgrade out of you without making everybody else here mad at you? You consider the negative and chose a path to avoid the negative. That's interesting. So it's the evoking the negative and letting people resolve it in their minds before they move forward has a higher success rate than dangling the positive. Because everybody dangles the positive. It's a lure. And this is our next rule. Acknowledge the negative. Mention it. Highlight the negative consequences that everyone wants to avoid. In other words, you should go ahead and state the obvious. 
we both want to avoid bad feelings. So rather than pretending that they don't exist, let's acknowledge that things could get bad. And then we agree, no one wants that. You don't get rid of the elephant in the room by ignoring it. But if you say, look, there's an elephant in the room. Here's the elephant, look at it, look at it right there. People's reactions to it are like, oh yeah, but it's not that big a deal. And that's what, you know, bringing people's attention to the negatives fearlessly instead of denying that they're there. I don't want you to think I'm gonna be a jerk. You say, I'm probably gonna look like a jerk. That two millimeter shift is massive in its impact to your advantage. Now you're getting smarter, you're gaining more of a feel for it, and you're beginning to understand like, eh, you know, if I smile at him and say three things in a row with a big smile on my face, I will watch them change every time my smile impacts them. That's pretty cool. Now, now you got more data to recalibrate your approach. Okay, so let's say let's say we're in this situation. We've gone in. We've we followed your playbook. What usually happens next? Like like what's happening in the negotiation at that point, and what's our next move? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I've already asked for permission. If if I've demonstrated empathy, I get nothing. Let's say. I've asked a illusion of control how question. I got nothing. I asked a no-oriented question. I got nothing. There's nothing left. That's it. Yeah, you, you know, you 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 walk, you make the deal, you 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 have the sniper shoot him. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not going to make every deal. Which brings us to our final rule: in order to get what you want, you might have to experiment and try tactics that are outside of your comfort zone. And, and that might feel awkward, particularly at first. But if you practice, it, it, say in low-stakes situations, and you try different approaches, it'll over time become more and more natural. It's the same way you get to Carnegie Hall. I, I mean, how did you learn to be a bomb tech? Did you go out and start wiring up C4 right away? Well, you're right. We've, so we spent a lot of time putting fake blasting caps into fake C4 before you know we, we went out and did it. Small stakes practice, right? I mean, I, I'd be scared that, and personally, I, uh, having dealt with bomb techs when I was an FBI agent, um, I think you guys are crazy. Um, I like that you guys want to play with explosives because I want to get as far away from them as I can. And you guys go take care of it for me. You, got, you guys are courageous guys, but you got there one step at a time. You train, there's no good and bad, there's trained and there's untrained. You went and found ways to do small stakes practice. You got the movements down. Same way you'd get your tone of voice down. Same way you'd get your practice in describing the other person's perspective to them. And how long did it take you to become certified as a bomb tech? Over a year of just straight training. So where would you be a year from now if you got in small stakes practice? I, I think that it would be a total change in, in my demeanor when I approach a conversation. Which would last you for the rest of your life. That's a cool thought, isn't it? Absolutely. Thank you to Shane for sharing his story with us and to Chris Voss for his fantastic advice. If you like what he had to say, you would definitely love his book, Never Split the Difference. Do you have a problem that needs solving? If you do, you should negotiate with us by sending us a note at howtoitslate.com or you can use the hardball tactics and leave a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And if you're successful, we'll have you on the show. 
How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rachel Allen is our production assistant and Merritt Jacob is our engineer. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown. June Thomas is the senior managing producer and Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director of audio. Special thanks to Rosemary Belson. I'm Charles Duhigg. Thanks for listening. <laughs>